That's myself and friends. Uh, was that a couple really? years ago? Yeah. Is that so on we the are recording? That's my friend Adam Crow on guitar. This reminds me of hanging out, listening to my brothers play and stuff. And I'd be in the corner just stoned and drawing. Perfect. We did that in New Orleans. That was a lot of fun. Went to Preservation Hall. Yeah. Our number one thing is the vibe. It doesn't really matter as much what we're playing as long as the vibe is there. So that's us. I'm addicted to listen to Adam Crow play guitar too. So I. Uh... There we go. That's something I wish I could do. I wouldn't trade what I can do to do that, but I would love to know how to do guitar. It's so fun to play music with the yeah. bands. Yeah. To be able to just pick it and go like, oh, let me just try this shit up well. And Stevie Ray, Stevie Ray Bonnet, you know, like. Yeah. So I'm gonna let that play in the background. It'll just give us a little bit of. Vibe. Yeah. It'll, it's going to cut off, and we'll just keep rapping. Yada, yada. Cool. Welcome to Radio Free Earth or Ultimate Freedom. The copyright of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is going to decide what my show is actually called. Yeah. It might be that or something else. Yeah. You never know. Is it Radio Free? Earth. Well, Ultimate Freedom is what it was. Ultimate Freedom. Then I changed to Radio Free Earth because I thought it really represented the, the, the perspective and the vision I'm coming with, and that's community, respect for nature, intelligence and coherence, you know, release and relax of, of, of a lot of judgments of other people. And it looks really, good on a T-shirt. There it is. <laughs> yes, sir. And empowering the resistance, you know? It's like we've got a lot of well, a lot of shit to fight on Earth, but we got to fight it with love and music and cooking I would amazing do, uh, meals. I would do that thing with my hands that your friend does. That. Oh, the do you I know it's crazy? No, I can't do that at all. Like, yeah. So my friend up. Jason, who's going to be here tomorrow, yeah, who's also coming to get involved with what we're doing, he is the only other person I've ever met on the planet that also plays the hand. I know someone who kind of does that, but not on the level that guy does. Joe and Jason both are like. Plus, he f he fakes you out a lot. He he puts his hands. You think he's going to do it, and he doesn't do it. So I was watching that too, like. <laughs> I was trying to draw his hands to get his hands together, uh -huh. and I, I couldn't get it. Every time he did it was a fake at it. I went, fuck. That's hilarious. Oh, my yeah. God, that's hilarious. Anything musical. I, I'm not musical inclined at all. I can dance, but I, I have a good appreciation for it, but it's not something. Oh, I wish you could do it, though. I wish you could just pick up a guitar or go to a music shop and go, oh, what's this, a clarinet? Just whip, whip out some. Benny Goodman, you know? I've got a fr couple friends who can do it. It's oh. fun to be a part of. It's a I play power. mostly bass because yeah. less notes and, and syncopation and, and linking in with the rhythm section, and I can yeah. really, not being as, as fluid in music, I can still hold it down. And, and take you're the place. main guy. Yeah. The main guy is the bass player. Yeah, I get to like help with the vibe. Again. Paul? Paul was the bass player. <laughs> John Paul Jones. So I, I have Tom Beelan today. Uh, hey, everybody. Me. And Tom is a an artist, a comic book artist, and a, an artist otherwise. And um, there was a time we weren't called artists. What? Because it was like, it, with, what was I, the title? Because I would always meet people who who uh, preferred I was a fine artist than a cartoonist. It oh was like God. it's almost like if you say uh, a while ago, if you said you were in you were in uh, entertainment, they go, "What do you? Do? I do stand up comedy." And they would say like, "Oh, well, I think you're like a real actor." <laughs> but now most of your actors are stand-ups. Are stand-ups, yeah. If you can make someone laugh, you can make them cry way easier. You can do, yeah, yeah. you can do everything. Getting spontaneous laughter yeah. is the hardest thing in the world. Watch Bill Burr do a scene, and he can do it totally serious and make you cry. But then you watch any actor try to do comedy, and it's a shitstorm. It's difficult. Yeah. It's stilted, yeah. Very much so, very much so. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm still trying to, to bridge that gap between being 
funny on demand and funny spontaneously. Because yeah. I seem to be just a laugh fucking riot when I'm hanging out with my yeah. friends. And in the moment it's time to be funny, I just sit there with a stupid look on my face. I did it for like three years. I did stand up around the just like the Bay Area and stuff. And it was uh, really, yeah, that's excellent. This would have been before because a lot of the open nights were, were hosted by uh, oh god, uh, what's his face? Guy who was uh, on uh, Full House, uh, Bob Saget. Bob Saget, Bob Saget hosted it a lot. There's a video. Was that the Comedy Cellar in San Francisco? No, like the Punchline, the other cafe. Oh, Punchline, okay. Holy City Zoo, that was a big one to go to also. You go up like around 2.30 a.m., you know, and there's no one there. Everyone's at the bar. Wow. But it was a great time. But there was so much drinking, I, got, I thought, I'm not going to last long with this. Gotcha, yeah. it's There's definitely a party-centric lifestyle. But then I could still do comedy, and I knew I could draw up. So instead of getting in a car and traveling all over the fucking California going to gigs, I could just draw my comedy and stay in the same place and not have to travel and shit. So right. that's what steered me to comics. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adjust you a little bit while we talk. What do you want me? You're fine. Is this better, people? Yeah, it is. Oh, that's much better. You just want that thing like I up in your face. I sound sexy like this. You know. It feels good. <laughs> you know. The first thing I had to stop doing because I could hear myself in the headphones is exactly like the 70s late Chicken. night DJ. I'd start being like, Check the so, time. Uh, it's five after five. Hey, dude, How's the commute? Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. That's nice. Uh, Hope everybody out there is feeling smooth. I'm doing so good. <laughs> Let's just take a nap right now. Hold me. <laughs> Hold me, tiny dancer. Hold me. So when did you get into the to the comic book illustration game? Uh, Just by accident. I was, I was working in a newspaper. And I met a guy named Keith Knight who uh, did a comic strip called The K Chronicle. Okay. Uh, which, that was my, that was really my black history class, The K Chronicles. Because he talked about all. The K Chronicles? K Chronicles okay. by Keith Knight. Okay. Um, who now has a show called Woke on Hulu. Okay. If, if you haven't seen that. I have. Really funny show. Uh, the guy who plays them uh, really turns into Keith. It's weird when you know somebody and then someone's playing them. Gotcha, the and you see him portray him. On yeah, film, he yeah. does his head tilt that Keith does a lot. That I'm like, oh shit, that's just like him. Well, that's a trip. Okay. But I met Keith at a convention. He had this weekly comic strip called the K Chronicles. I used to run to the store to get that paper, the Pacific Sun. Okay. Thinking they'd be out because I thought everybody's gonna find out about this comic strip. I'll never find it. And there was always wow. like a stack there. But I'd have coffee and read his comic strip. It was autobiographical, which I really wasn't that into back in the day. And um, what year was this? Oh God, like. 89, I think. Okay. And at that time, I was just, I was a paste-up artist. Uh, just, I was. What does that mean? That means I was doing, like, grocery ads. And we do that. Oh, okay. You find a clip art book of broccoli and lettuce. Things are on sale. And then you make photocopies. You run them through a waxer. And then you stick them on in the place. So you're just. What's a waxer? It's a machine. You run the paper through it. It waxes one side of it. So it sticks. This is all, this when you wow. used to do paper by hand. You didn't okay. Do it. There was no pagination back then. Wow. So everything was, was hand done. Uh, from the composing room, and but, but what, so you're saying wax and you, what were you sticking? Sticking to like the walls or the no to the actual page because you had to dummy the page for the newspaper. So everything is laid out with with wax. You never seen this? No. All right. This, so picture yeah, like picture like a board the size of your newspaper page. Okay. So they uh, would have like a master sheet that goes down, and then you just that everything's printed out the size of the columns. Everything's laid out. And then you run it through a waxer, and you lay it on the page, and it holds it. Almost like you're doing, like, a photo album. Okay. And so... Just slightly tacky. Yeah, you go all the way through that, then you so sign it off. So that way you can off. kind of take your individual elements, I get it, and move them around. It's almost if you're like editing, uh, 
analog Photoshop. It is exactly like that. It's, <laughs> back then, you couldn't just uh, highlight, delete, and replace something. You had to cut it out. So you had people whose job was to, to cut sentences out and then wax and come back and place them, move everything up. It was wow. all everything you do on a InDesign was done by hand back then. Yeah, that's and weird. so. Uh, but it was exciting because there was always a group of people around that page. Every page that gets written, signed off by the editors. And I'm over there just waxing fruit. And I am I met Keith at a convention. And I said, I would love to do what you do. And he says, well, then go do it. And I said, well, I've never done this before. He says, I said, I'd like to do what you do about your life. And he yeah. says, well, I don't have a, you know, I don't have a patent on this. That's just autobiography. You could do it. Yeah. So I went back. At that time, someone, there was a, we didn't get the cartoons for that week, the political cartoons. There was a hole um, for that space for the cartoon, and nothing, I guess nothing worked for that week. So my editor came in and said, uh, hey, can you knock out a cartoon for this week? Can you think of anything to write about it, anything to do? I said, sure. So I wrote about my friend who bought a pet crab, and uh, he came downstairs and said, hey, my head crab's really happy. Check this out, man. It's dancing all over the tank. And we looked, and the crab, crab was like, Leaping like it was taking a running start from the bottom of the tank and running up. And oh, whoo, okay. Like he was going like, yeah. <laughs> we thought it was cool. Next day, the crab died, and so he thought it was sick. So we went back to the. It was called Aquatic World in Napa, okay. and we went back to the store, and I went with them. And he he said, "Uh, you guys sold me this sick crab." <laughs> and they said, "Yeah." And they said, "Dude, we don't sell sick animals here. We." Okay. You know, we, can, we make sure they're not sick. He says, well, this nothing's sicker than this thing. It's dead. And, and so the guy says, did you feed it? He goes, well, I'm not a dumb shit. Of course I fed it. And meanwhile, oh. I'm over by the tanks looking at the lizards and stuff. Okay. But I'm listening to what he's saying. I okay. guess I'm not an idiot. And this guy in the corner goes, how deep is your tank? And Todd goes, how deep? He goes, yeah, how deep is it? And he goes, oh. that's about like that deep, like about a foot. And he goes, well, what did the little crab use for a ladder? He goes, for what? And he goes, to get air. And none oh, of us knew crabs no. breathe air. Oh, no. <laughs> and so we're all just standing there. And he goes, they breathe air? And he goes, the guy goes, everything breathes air, you idiot. Why don't you read about your pet before you get one? So we were leaving. Yeah. And on the way out in the cartoon, on the way out, I'm saying, maybe we should just get a dog. Wait, did they breathe air too? And he goes, shut up. And my editor came back laughing, saying, did this really happen? I go, yeah. Uh, true story, swear to God. And I, I wrote here. I even wrote down on, on the, the top of the panel, true story, swear to God. And he said, <laughs> at that moment, he goes, that'd make a great title for a comic strip if you write about your life. And I go, yeah, I guess it would. And then I just kept knocking these cartoons out in case they needed a cartoon. And eventually, it, it became a weekly cartoon strip for me. Awesome. And, um, and what was that paper again? The Napa Register. Okay. And then uh, at one point, they tried to say they owned it because it was done for work for hire. Oh. And I went, wait a minute, I created this thing. He says, yeah, but we own it. I said, but I, mm. so it was a long battle. I went to see a lawyer, and the lawyer said, if you did any of it at the job, then yeah, that's work for hire. Okay. And I go, well, shit. I, on the way out the door, I thought I'd lost my comic strip. And on the way out the door, I said, well, man, why do I even bother putting that C with the circle on it then? And she goes, wait a minute. What are you talking about? I said, the copyright symbol. I, I put it right next to my name on everything I've drawn there. She goes, you were never told to take it off? I go, no. She says, they never wrote you up for insubordination? I go, nope. She goes, you owned everything you did for that paper. Because they were willingly gave me a copyright with a Just time Just by time using stamp. the symbol? And it's time stamped on the page. So they would have to prove. But did you have a registered copyright at that point? No. I'm just a guy making comics. I, I don't know any business. <laughs> None. Whoa. So I okay. won. So and there's a, 
I had all my stuff, and um, I tell them if you want to run my stuff, I still get to I get to own it. And so at that point, a Piper and Vallejo asked me if I was happy. They were noticing I was doing a lot of artwork. Wow. At this point, I became a page designer, a cartoonist, political cartoonist. It, it was really a dream because of my hometown paper, and I'm drawing every day for yeah. something. I mean, writers have come up saying, I got this thing about, you know, the mustard festival. Can you do something for that? And within two hours, they would have all these mustard bottles wearing military gear, looking at a map of the hot dog, and they're planning <laughs> their attack. Nice. And it was just a lot of fun. So I told them, well, they tried to screw me out of a, my my ownership of my comic strip. And, and he says, what if we let you do all that stuff and you can own it? Awesome. And what if we give awesome. you more money yeah. and three days off a week? Yeah. And it was the first time anyone ever courted me like that. Wow. And I went back and I, I gave notice and I left, went to Vallejo. And then in Vallejo, after Vallejo, I met someone on, a, on an assignment. They sent me to the Animal Kingdom to cover the anim, Animal Kingdom opening. And I met a girl there at a bus stop and I wrote about it. And she was from Puerto Rico. And we dated, you know, I went there a couple times. She came out here a couple times. And then I decided to move there. And when I moved right, there. You were telling me about yeah, your Puerto what, Rico residency. When I moved, and what year was that? This was um, 98. And by then I'd been doing enough comic strips where I had a good feeling. And for fun, How was it being in Vallejo at that time? And were you in Vallejo or were you just. I, I thought Vallejo was amazing to me. I yeah. had some really good writers. They put me in charge of a, uh, we lost our outdoor columnist. And if you ever met me, you know I'm not an outdoors guy. Okay. Um, but they made me the outdoor columnist. They, they okay. went and said, hey, can you write? And I go, yeah, just take this. So I would write about my family going on, on vacation. I'd write about trying to go camping and shit. Just funny stuff. Word. But nothing about fishing game. And finally this guy after three weeks writes to me and says, while I enjoy Tom's writing quite a bit, it's clear he doesn't go outside ever. No he just stuck it. <laughs> so they asked me, what do you want to do with this letter? I said, I, you got to oh, publish it. You got to publish it. And yeah, so I called them up and hilarious. said. That's hilarious. I called them up and said, yeah, you're right. I, I never go outdoors. Okay. So, do you want to train me? You want to be my Obi-Wan? So he would tell me about ghost shrimp. Wow. Oh, and like local Catching fishing sturgeon seasons. out by the okay. pier, all kind of stuff. So I, he was my go-to guy. And I wow. did that for a while. And in that, but when I did political cartoons, they needed something about um, – the question of the week was, should the Catholic Church be allowed to influence abortion rights? The Catholic Church should be, uh, anyway. Well, right. my feeling was. Destroyed. I had already been molested by the church. Oh Actually, so here in Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa Diocese, that had 3,000 cases. It was Camp St. Michael. I know for a fact, I was telling you when we were talking, yeah. that the, the Catholic Church on Farmer's Lane yeah. paid between three point five to $5 million for child molestation. Yeah. And they're still actively running a school that people are just bringing their kids to Camp every St. day. Camp St. Michael had that problem. Right? Some it's guy, like I, I saw a guy offering your children. And the craziest thing for one of the craziest things about through this whole QAnon arc is yeah. like they're tripping on Tom Hanks and fucking maybe Hillary Clinton is a devil. Who knows? I don't fucking know. Yeah, they're just tripping on like the most random motherfuckers. And it's like, dude, the Catholic Church is literally fucking little kids and it's admitting always, it every day. So that's why are always these, blown my mind. Why how don't come those cute not, people go and, how come and they're protest not forced, that? How come they're not forced? On their sign, like, if you're a pedophile, you have to tell your neighbors about what you did. Exactly. Why? How come they don't put on their sign, oh, by the way, we had 3,000 cases put up against us? Same with Penn State. Same with uh, Subway Sandwiches. How come they don't, when they were going, eat fresh? Oh, by the way, we molested 3,000 kids. I mean, I think, I think, 
I can't say exactly about the details of Penn State, but I know with the Catholic Church, it needs to go beyond Dude, it gets in the any individual. There's been an organized, they need to have an organized RICO suit with either the U.S. Justice Department or, or Interpol. Yeah. Because it's it's RICO. It's it's organized racketeering. It's yeah. an organized <laughs> pedophilia syndicate that's been existent for, for millennia. So because I went through the most Asian thing, I oh, told him, I told him, I might not be the guy for this cartoon. Gotcha. And they said, no, see what you can come up with. So what I did was I had the Pope outside an abortion clinic with a sign saying, sinners repent. And then the bushes are two kids. One says pedophilia on a shirt, and the other one says homosexuality. Wow. The Pope is looking at them, and he says, I thought I, to- I, thought I told you two to wait in the car. Oh, damn. So I went up, and I dropped it off. And next thing you know, I, I peek out. So I was in this little room that was like an office for me. Sure. And I peeked outside, and there was... <clears throat> Four editors at this. Meeting. Everybody that works at, is and having they, a meeting, right? They, three of them were laughing hysterically, saying, "This is the greatest thing I ever saw." Two of them knew that there was a shitstorm on the horizon if they print this thing. Yes. So they called the publisher in, uh, Rich Hines, and he came in. And to his credit, he came out that cartoon. He goes, "Do you really believe in this cartoon and what you're saying?" I okay. said, "100 percent." He looked at it for about five minutes. And he goes. Can you handle the response from this? Okay. And I go, I never had a response from a cartoon ever. But yeah, if, if we get some phone calls, sure, I'll take them. And uh, he goes, all right, we'll run it. So he ran it. Wow. It ran what, on Sunday. Okay, what year? Oh, it would have been before uh, 98. So I w- I'm maybe 94, I think. Okay. And um, I was dating a, a girl who uh, was in the church. Oh. And so I went to Mass with her. The one time I went to Mass with so I'm in this church, and we're in the middle of the church, in the middle of the pew, and the priest comes up, and he takes the paper and holds it up. He says, I don't know if any of you have seen this piece of crap in today's paper, like he called me out. He's calling me out. Did he know you were in no, the audience? Okay. No. Okay. He's calling me out without knowing the guy who made this cartoon is in the middle of his church. Oh, my God. Okay. The girl next to me is piecing it together pretty quick, though. <laughs> she knows what I do. And she, she looks at me and she said, did you guys run that? And I said, not only did we run it. <laughs> and I lean and I go, that's my cartoon. And she looked at me bug-eyed. And he was just going off on blah, da 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 And I stood up. I didn't say anything. I just stood up. Okay. And he goes, excuse me? I said, I'm the guy who made that cartoon. How many people are in this church? Like, this is a big Full. church. This is a couple hundred, Sunday, 10 o'clock mass. Okay. And I remember the deafening sound of the, the pews when people were turning. Right? <laughs> it sounded like they were moving pews somewhere. Yeah. You know, moving around. And uh, I told him, I said, uh, I have a reason for writing that thing. And if you'd want to hear the reason, I, I'll tell you. But I'm not going to have you mock me right in the middle of a bunch. But you don't know me. And I said, when you guys explain what you did to me, I'll explain what you think I did to you just now. And I got up. And wow. I was, I was going to make this big exit. Yeah. But I got up. And to leave, you got to go, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. So I got there. And in this church, there were multiple doors. And only two are, like, are unlocked. And so I'm going like, yeah. The hell with this place. Tong. And it oh, wouldn't no. open. <laughs> and I had oh, to go no. like four doors. Oh no. So then I had to way out. I go, what you fucking open these doors? <laughs> so, I walked out. so the editor for that page 
had gone on vacation with his family to Disneyland over the weekend. Okay. So he had no idea what was going on. Oh, shit. So Monday he comes in. Oh, you guys should go to Disney. It's fantastic. Ah, oh, they have rides. We got photos. So, uh, we're going down the, the fucking log ride. Like, whoa. And at 9 a.m., his phone rings. And he picks up. He goes, uh, hello, this is Doug. Uh, excuse me? Excuse, uh, could you not yell? <laughs> he had phone, hate phone calls. All the editors' phones lit up. Oh, shit. And we got, like, five sacks of mail. Wow. That was all hate mail towards me. Wow. I mean, it's your hometown, <clears throat> and I thought I made a pretty good point. Yeah. Well, the thing but, is that you were dealing with people sure. who were in that stock. But I'm like syndrome. 25. Yeah. I don't know this shit. I'm just new at this. I had just met a guy named Pat Oliphant, who was a big cartoonist. He said, if you try to go up against the president or anything that's national, I'll destroy you because I'm in Washington. I'm better than you. This A cartoonist said that yeah. to you? Yeah, and it was great advice. No, no, it was great advice. He's in Washington. Destroy you how, though? Just in, in work. He knows it better. He knows what to look for in politics and blah, blah. Oh, but, meaning he'll make, he'll make a better cartoon. Yeah, than yeah. Okay, okay. You'll never get I just want to clarify that because yeah. I was like. My work will always annihilate you right now. Gotcha. Because um, I wasn't seasoned. But he said, I don't know who your city council is. I don't know who your school board is. I don't know who your mayor is. If you hit that, you'll blow me out of the water every time because you'll have a local following. So, on about the third week of getting this hate mail, and they're printing the letters, and they're saying, "Wow, like, Bielan should be fired." Bielan and what paper fired. is this? Napa Register. Oh, it's still the okay. Yeah. So I, I wrote to I, I, I think I called him, and I said, uh, "I'm going through some shit right now with this." And he goes, "What'd you do?" I said, da, 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 da. "The question of the week was: Should the Catholic Church be allowed to, uh, you know, influence abortion laws?" And he goes, "Well, send me a fax. Show me what you did." And so I sent the fax. He called back and he was laughing. <laughs> and he goes, They ran this? Yeah. I go, They ran it. They checked it out. And he goes, Wow, I'll give him props for running it. But uh, all right, man. Uh, you said your piece. Now they get to say theirs. There's nothing you can do. You got to limp. That's how this gotcha. thing works. If, gotcha. you, if you can't take the hits, don't get in the ring. Gotcha. And he made a lot of sense. So I, I shut up and I let those letters come in. And it was about three months of hate mail. And he said, three months? What Pat wow. said was, this is Pat Oliphant. And he, he uh, said, after what, see, people who like you don't write. Gotcha. People who hate you grab a pen. Gotcha. And your job is to make people grab a pen and start a conversation about that topic. And that's, you did it in spades with that cartoon. He said, but after a while, people will get tired of hearing shit about this. And said, like, hey, give him a break, blah, blah. And sure enough, after time, here comes the, the pro mail. So one day I come huh. to work and they're working on the Sunday edition and they had a two page opinion page. In that page, a, a banner headline across the two pages that said, Should Beelan be fired? And so I was the topic of the opinion page. Two wow. page spread. Okay. But they wouldn't run the cartoon. They tried to explain the cartoon. And oh. I said, fuck you. That's not the same. That's not the same. That's not, You can't Agreed. just read a joke you hear on that's a like, stand-up. It's like taking a, one sentence out of a comedian's yeah. routine and yeah. saying they said this. I said, yeah. I said, don't get pussy at the last second, man. If you're, if you're going to you know, Go talk the about way. the cartoon, yeah. show the fucking cartoon. Yep. You, you can only piss them off one time with it. You know? yeah. So they still didn't do it. Um, eventually, it all died down. But... I was getting letters like one guy sent a letter that had a photo, a Polaroid photo of my apartment window. 
because I lived like three blocks away from the paper. Um, in Whoa. Front of, yeah, I used to live in front of this bakery. Oh, that's not called, comfortable, uh, right? ABC Bakery. I used to okay. stay at this Lovejoy Manor building. And it said, uh, boy, you get a really nice view from this window. And so. Oh, that's creepy. As yeah. It can be. So once that died down, um, it didn't scare me, but it was kind of a, like a. It's like going. Have you, ever, have you ever been on a raft in Whitewater? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We used to go to Cash Creek, and there's a part called Mother. And it's called Mother because you untie me, you old fucker. Because you hit the corner <laughs> and you dive, and it's Whitewater. Okay. But man, is it when you're through with it, it's such a thrill to have survived it. Yeah. So I got the worst thing they could have done is told me to fire me because now I was at the city council meetings and now I was listening to the mayors and the city council members. I was doing I was doing so many cartoons about city council that the mayor one day I sat. I also sat next to the woman who did the reporting for the the city council who was just insanely beautiful, like Russian French woman with black tossed hair and just just gorgeous. So I used to sit with her and it was just so much fun. But one day they all settled down and the mayor called the meeting order and he looked around and goes, he saw me and he said, the assassin has arrived. And she oh. looked at me and she goes, how'd you get a nickname? I said, I don't know, but I was called the assassin. And when he retired, <laughs> nice. when he left office, him and three other people asked if they could buy the original cartoons that they appeared in for that. And they did. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they, That's awesome. So yeah. they appreciated it. So there was a weird respect from, from him. I never made personal hit pieces, but... I called them on their shit. I would go to the. Beautiful. I'm a high school graduate, barely. I'm not a college guy. I didn't learn this stuff, you know, at any university. And when I would go to to staff meetings of the paper, I felt very intimidated. Like my opinion didn't matter because who who the fuck am I? I'm just barely out of high school. I'm barely, okay. you know, bar- I barely did that thing. But getting the hate mail <clears throat> added some sort of legitimacy that what I was writing was actually striking a nerve you're spot on yeah and it just became addicting and i would just draw i would start drawing everything and when i moved to puerto rico i made a book about meeting her i made an actual comic book to see if i could do it and i drew it lettered it the whole thing and so when she came to see me i said hey check out this book i made about how we met and she read it and she said uh, this is amazing and it's like 64 pages and she goes you spelled my name wrong but it's all beautiful. And I was like, oh, fuck, you're kidding me. And so I said, uh, eh, maybe I'll just paste over it so it looks better. And she goes, uh, no, why don't you say that? And on the next issue, you can talk about how you spell my name wrong. It'd be pretty funny. <laughs> and I said, next issue of what? And she goes, this. I went, oh, no one's, I'm not, we're not making this. This is black and white, autobio, romance, comedy. Like the four worst genres you could pick there's no superhero there's no <laughs> okay there's no titty flashes there's nothing you know i don't draw women that make you want to fuck my women all my women make <laughs> you want to hang out and play magic gathering with, with nice. them or go have a lunch i don't draw those right. kind of people that's fair yeah but uh she said let's give it a shot and it took for a while but then she convinced me and i was just learning on the fly how to make a comic book what? and and the name of that one was true stories for the god oh so, okay so it was just a continuance yeah. it was a continuation of the of the comic strip right and um, the first issue did okay. And uh, the money and we made. What was the first issue about? It's just how we met. Okay. It was, I didn't use Disney's name. I just said it was the Magical Kingdom. And, and we met there. And it was a, it was a theme park. And uh, the art was, you know, just me doing my best. And it's, it, it was nothing to write home about. The backgrounds okay. are horrible. 
But the writing, I guess, people kind of took notice of this little story and they thought it was kind of cute. And I, I, a lot of people meet by chance, and so that kind of struck a nerve also. Yep. And after about four of these issues, I get an email saying that I was nominated for two Eisners. Wow. Which are the Oscars for comics. And wow. So it was Best Writer Artist for Humor and Best New Publication. People are looking for hope. If yeah. you're offering people like some optimistic and not schmaltzy or cheesy hope like this. But when no one else is doing it, you're like, yeah. fuck. I mean, people are making independent comics all over the place. Yeah. I don't know if... I don't know how mine got more mainstream than independent, but it was... Uh, what is, it, does that just have to do with wh who's publishing it? Yeah, it is sort of a G book also, G-rated book. There's nothing really too crazy in that. I don't I don't go Robert Crumb on anything. Okay. It's, it was just... Uh, you know, it was me writing in my... Like in my diary about this girl I met, and it was insanely personal. And maybe that's what the draw of it was. Also, it was a guy talking about romance, but it it did okay. We sold like seven hundred copies. But when I went to the actual event at San Diego Con, I've never been to San Diego Con in my life. The original Comic Con. Yeah, and I had I have a table with a. You know, my banner was one of those printers that goes like, yeah, it's a matrix printer. It's just a matrix shitty thing. Yeah. It's like, three choice, where you got? And a folding table with nothing on top of it. There's no, I knew nothing about yeah. putting tablescapes on it and shit. Yeah. And just my books laid out on it. And um, I went there, and I think at the time my competition was Greg Rucka, who did Whiteout, Brian K. Vaughn, who does Saga, and his book, um, uh, I think it was Why the Last Man Fables was up against me. And Josh Whedon's X Men were the books. Wow, you were in the same category yeah. as X Men. And so I, I'm sitting at this table, and one of them said, uh, "What book do you do?" And I said, "You'd never heard of it." Okay. I had 700 sales, and so what's the name? I told him the name. He goes, "No, I never heard of it." My biggest worry was that when these throughout that show, when they would show these covers of books that that I knew and and I owned. The place went nuts. The hall, this is Hall H, and that's huge hall. And okay, going, and all I'm thinking is, oh, like, the whole crowd's cheering. Woo! Yeah, okay. and I'm just oh, you're waiting crickets. for that pin to drop. Yeah, when it's just, <laughs> no one fucking knows my shit. Uh, woo. So me, I know I'm not gonna win this thing, but yeah. I don't want to get humiliated by you know. And uh, true story is swear to God by Tom Beelan, and hearing my wife and Keith both going woo, <laughs> you know, that, that echoey laugh. Yeah, you know, and yeah. As it's getting closer to our, to our category, I looked over at, I don't know if it was Gail Simone or someone, and I just went like, fuck, I hope, I hope somebody claps. And they would show the covers on the screen. And as soon as the covers came on, I never heard my name. It was war, applause. Wow. I remember looking over at the, I, I keep thinking it was Gail Simone, but it might have been Carly McNeil. But I looked at her with this look on my face like, what the fuck is that? And, sh and she was like, they know you. I remember she was yelling, they know you. Wow. And it died off. And it finally, and it was just, that was my Eisner moment. Because they told me, it's not those sales. that people still are looking at it. Yeah. You know? And so I went back and I made, the first four books were 64 pages each. It's like making four annuals. Seriously. Yeah. And um, I just started making my I. It was weird because I was writing about stuff as it was happening, about what it's like living on an island. 
and you don't know the language and you don't the culture is different food's different your sports are different like all my baseball and football games are in spanish oh th- so the subject matter changed to yeah being in puerto rico a stranger in a strange while, land while still living with this person okay and i wrote about our arguments and i wrote about you know our successes and our, oh. our fun we wrote yeah. about going to new york and uh for her, New York is Broadway and and music and shopping. And for, but for me, that's where the Marvel Comics characters live. I, I have right. read Spider Man since I was six years old. Right. Spider Man saved me from throwing myself off a rooftop when my dad was sick. Yeah, because I was. They used to have me go up the, to the roof when I was in ninth grade to get tennis balls off the roof. Okay. And so my dad was sick. I was getting, you know, uh, bullied. And I went up on the roof one day, and I thought I could just lean forward a bit. Oh, yeah, and I and there is a feeling of like I can sleep. I think that's yeah. what most people think of when they think suicide is. You just think you get a break I, for I a could second. Just nap for a while, you know, just get to tune out the in my head. Yeah. At that moment, I realized that Spider Man, the second part of Birth of the Gibbon, with Craven the Hunter, came out. Okay. It was part two of the story, and I didn't know how it was going to end, so I thought, well, I'll go read Spider-Man, and then tomorrow I'll, I'll throw myself off the roof. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was that calm of a deal. Like, I t- you know what? Nice. This, is, this is stupid. This is the wrong time to do this. Spider-Man nice. came out today. So I went oh. down the roof. Yes. When I came up through, I went right to the principal's office, and I he had to go through a gate to, to get to the roof. I gave him the key, and I said, I don't think I should do this anymore. And I went and got Spider-Man, went up wow. on the hill. The first time a guy gave me a joint was my my friend Curtis's brother who was growing it in his closet. And he heard my dad was sick and he says, hey, next time you read Spider-Man, smoke one of these when you're up on the hill. Nice. And that was my first introduction to pot. Okay, nice. And um, so uh, so I I had been buying Spider-Man my whole life. Yeah. Even the shitty books I buy because that's my guy. That's, that, yeah. that is my Jesus Christ because he shows up every month. I told my sister. <laughs> you know? You guys are on book one. And oh my God! My guy's there every month, and he's always there. And he pulled me off a roof. It wasn't Jesus who did it; it yeah. was Spider Man. That's great. So Spider Man is pretty bad. We've always we've always laughed about that in my marriage about how into what I am. And, well, and so, if you were to weigh Spider Man, Superman, and Batman, you know, yeah, Superman's kind of a douche. Batman is a psychopath. And plus, they're grown ups. Spider Man's like a little kid, and he just had this thing happen, and he turns out to be the most yeah, awesome superhero. There are a couple of dudes who had jobs and careers. Like, who the fuck are they? You know, like, geez. But Spider Man was my age, and he got bullied. Right. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I want to have a scene in that book about New York where he comes down, and I thank him, and he hugs me and screams off. Nice. And I thought, I don't want to be told after all this shit that I have to, like, burn these books. So. I wrote to Marvel. I sent him a fax. I said, here's the page I want to do. Here's the scene. Can you, do you mind if I do this? Wow. And their lawyer said, uh, no, you can't because they're you know, copyrighted characters. And, you know, the typical stuff. And yeah. I said, all right, well, at least I tried. Yeah. And I was going to work that scene again. But that lawyer went into Tom Brevert's office. Who is? Uh, the guy who, runs, who, who was running Marvel at the time. Okay. And I guess they were talking. And he saw something there. But he said, what's this? Oh, some guy wanted to use the characters. Some guy, Tom Dealing. He said, what'd you say? He goes, I, I don't know what he's going to make him do. What if he makes him do something that's, that's embarrassing? He says, do you know how much this guy loves this guy? So he wrote to me and right. said, you can use anyone you want. What? So that two okay. page scene, that one page scene became two pages, and I shoved as much Marvel <laughs> shit as I could. Oh, nice. And, 
And I, oh my God. I did it with uh, the glee of me doing it the right way and getting approved for it. Okay. So I had no worry about this thing. Nice. And so uh, later, we went to Image Comics with the series, and we made an omnibus of the book. And I was in New York again at, at Jim Hanley's Universe. We were signing copies of the book, and this guy comes in and says, uh, I really love this series. I love how you write romance. I go, thanks. He says, uh, you should write a, a Spider-Man Mary Jane book. And I said, well, if they knew I was alive, that'd be great if they knew my work. And the guy put a card down. It, it was Tom. Oh, and I'd snap. never met Tom. Oh, wow. And so he goes, well, you never know. So I turned the card over, and there's a giant Romita Spider-Man on the card. Whoa. Was, so my whole career has had these really cool little moments like that. That's awesome. And I got to write them. So I wrote about, I mean, what do you do when someone says, here's your Jesus Christ, write a chapter for the Bible. And you know everything you're going to write is going to go in the canon. Wow. And I got to write him, Fantastic Four. Oh, you could sneak in a yeah. couple of like idiosyncrasies or little, even a little just side stuff. I got to use that. Dragon Man, a villain that, Okay. He's an android Never heard of, of a dragon with wings. One of Never my, he was like one of the first monster villains I ever saw okay. in Marvel, in Fantastic. He's not Four. the crocodile guy. No. Okay. No, that's a. I think that's Beta Ray Bill. You're thinking of. He's the horse guy. The, no, the, no, there was a crocodile bad guy. Oh, there is Killer Croc with with Batman. Oh, that's DC. DC. That's D, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, DC. Right. I've I've always wanted to do something for them, but I haven't I haven't figured out what to pitch them yet. But I'd like to. I gotcha. did them and I did Simpsons and. I really but like it was Marvel fun. a lot better. I know people don't, you know, it's one of the few times I'll, I'll carve up on once, you know, if it's the Beatles versus the Rolling Stones, I like them both. But when that, I really enjoy Marvel. When that book came out, uh, it was part of an I Heart Marvel month. And okay. every week there was a book about, about a couple. And wow. I just picture people just going, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> so my time was the last one. I was the end of the month. So mine comes out and... I was telling her, I tell my wife, I said, I, I don't know if I want to go down there and take a look at this because I don't want to see someone putting back a Spider-Man book I wrote because it would be too devastating. Yeah. And she goes, well, let's go into town. Let's go to Old San Juan and have dinner. We'll celebrate anyway. I said, okay. So we get in the car and she drives right to the comic shop. <laughs> and she stops and she looks at me. She goes, go look at, go say hi to your children. Oh, okay. That's cute. So I go in there and, uh, just throwing her a woman named uh, uh, Chris, Christine, uh, female comic shop owner in Puerto Rico, uh, probably the only shop, uh, looks at me and she goes, 300 copies gone. Yeah. Wow. Just, like instantly. Bam. So then they, they at that point, I felt confident, confident enough to pitch. And so I pitched Fantastic Four coming to Puerto Rico. I want to do a, I wanted to do something. I, the island fascinated me. It has so many cool cultures. It's got so many little uh, um, unique zones. What's Bigfoot? Yeah, well, you know I've Bigfoot. Like, uh, what do they call those? Uh, like Bigfoot and Sasquatch and and, uh -huh. and uh, the Loch Ness monster, urban myths. There's there's a lot Crypto of cryptozoological phenomena. Yeah, there's a lot of those things. Plus, oh, the tip really? of Puerto Rico is in the Bermuda Triangle. The eastern tip? Yeah, so I can pull anything out of that. <laughs> I, think the, I think the western tip. I think the west Oh, the side. western tip, okay. Uh, Rincon, I think. Is Rincon there. and so, the western. I, yeah, it was yeah, Rincon, Mayaguez. Yeah, so I um, I pitched an, an idea where the thing comes to Puerto Rico because he looks like the old fort, El Moro, and that 
You know, some people go That's on vacation. Cool. You know, some people go on vacation for their friends and family, and they, they don't say where they're going, and they yeah. just be another yes. person and do this. Yeah. So the thing, it turns out, had been going to Puerto Rico every year because they throw this huge Mardi Gras <laughs> thing in his honor that he's not repulsed there. He's huh. adored because he looks like the Their the beloved sport. Port. They cherish the oh sport. Oh, my God, okay. If you've ever seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the first episode, they land on that fort. That's I've going been on. to the fort itself. Yeah. yeah. When that episode aired, I got so many notes from people saying, you were there first. Nice. For Marvel. Nice. Um, so we did that. And then while we're making this book, uh, my editor, my artist is Puerto Rican, Juan Do, and uh, my editor, uh, uh, Alejandro uh, Arbona, he's, he's Puerto Rican also. So we thought it'd be cool that what if we could do a Spanish edition also to go with this, English and Spanish. Sure. Alejandro went to them and said, if I do the um, translations, can we do that? And they didn't. They were doing like big crossover events. They're like, yeah, go ahead, do what you want. But then it came out, it turned out we made history because a comic never was done in two languages on the same day before. Wow. So now not only do we have this cool, it was a really weird book because it was almost like a travel brochure for Puerto Rico. We thought we only had one shot, so let's hit okay. everything about this island we Nice, love. I got you. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, but now it was a collectible because of its uniqueness of being two, yeah. two different languages. And Puerto Rico is amazing. I went there for a couple of weeks. Oh, they love cartooning too. There's some really great cartoonists on that island. The people are so awesome. Everybody's friendly. Oh, independent really cart. They have a Comic Con there, the Puerto Rico Comic Con. Uh, we went to that when me and David Alvarez were the cartoonists. I know that name. David Alvarez does uh, Looney Tunes. Oh, he, he was wow. an animator for Animaniacs. He's That's what it is, Animaniacs. David can draw Walt Disney style, Hanna Barbera style. Any Warner Brothers style, any style. That's He's cool. like a chameleon. Where I can draw Mickey Mouse, but in, like if he was in my comic strip. Okay, I got but you. But yeah. Dave can can just do every this genre. shit out. Roger Rabbit, he knows. He's that guy who knows. Like a chef can look at a loaf of bread and go, "I can make eighty things out of that." Thing. Yeah, and David's it. like that with shapes and characters. Wow, um, crazy talented. And so we were the cartoonists. the The biggest draw was uh, the guy who played Chewbacca. Peter yeah. something. And but he didn't have the costume, so it was just him. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the guy who, talk, do the thing. He's like and, yeah, yeah, okay. The guy right. who plays Boba Fett was there again. Also no didn't have the cost- oh no. But the line to meet them was out the door. Like, I swear and, to God I'm Boba Fett. I swear David and I are looking at each other going like, I don't I, they're taking photos, but yeah. they're not it's not the characters. Yeah. That goofy little con that was like maybe eight hundred people now is a two-day festival that draws like 30,000 people. In Puerto Rico? Marvel, D.C. What time of year? Over there. Um, it's pretty early in the year. I think it's around February, March. Okay. And, you know, that's the East Coast Hawaii, so oh, who yeah, doesn't want to have that gig? Yeah. They, they get people all the time there who go there now. Big names. Oh. Uh, big, big D.C., Marvel awesome. people. And now there's more of a connect. We, can, we came up with a character for them called Elva, Elva Gigante, um, who was not in Marvel Voices. They did a whole issue about Puerto Rican characters, and our guy wasn't in there. Thanks, Marvel. Fix that shit. <laughs> Fix that shit. Fix that mierdas. And so, who was uh, who was your guy? Uh, El Vigante. I, I mean, meaning uh, what was his power? What was his origin story? He's like a spirit uh, creature. He's oh. bound to the island. Oh wow! And so he could only do things there. And he's like, I, 
So he's kind of like, you know, he's an ex-military guy who has some PTSD from battle. And then this he started drinking and doing drugs. And so this spirit comes along and says, uh, my former host is not here anymore. So I need a new host. Would you want this? And Whoa. With that, you can That's take cool. care of your demons. And so okay. we, we got him. And... Uh, and it was fun. And meanwhile, I'm doing a book. I started drawing this book about a little creature. Am I talking too much? No. This I is, get yakety yak on No, I'm, I'm just sitting here. I'm so interested. So during that time, I was teaching kids how to draw on my patio. Okay. And after class, the kids could draw a scribble, and I'd have to make something out of the scribble. And one day, this one I used kid, to play that game with my kids. Yeah, My dad did it with me. It's the best. And it kind of opens their imagination yep. to, to just try to just make shapes first. Yep. And... This thing they drew looked like a black furry creature that I gave four legs to and a swirling tail at the end and these two really big eyes that were white. And they thought it looked really cool. I thought, yeah, kind of a weird-looking thing. And so the drawing pad would always stay on the patio uh, of our place. And I would go out there every now and then and you know sweep the patio. And while I was there, I'd go, let me see if I can draw this sideways. And what's the top view look like? And so I was doing all these different versions of it, not knowing okay. what I'm – what I'm going to do with this thing. You're just digging the shape. <clears throat> just a look. fun thing yeah. to, to work on. Yeah. And I thought, I wonder what I would do with this. So at first he was a, a chupacabra that came from a family of, ch family of chupacabras. <laughs> nice. I got <laughs> like the page six and went, fuck this. Gary the chupacabra. Fucking, yeah, it was like such bullshit. And okay. um, I thought I never made a, I've never made a book that had a, a female lead. And I started asking people who read manga, why do, why do you read this and not, mainstream books and it was always characters characters it's not about the fights i go home right down character so i started cherry picking people i knew and came up with this girl named isabel who finds a chupacabra in el moro and el moro had a big legend that there were laboratories underneath that uh, okay thing. like government laboratories governments or even tribal uh things. okay trippy and so she finds the opening to that by scaling down the side of the of the mount, of the cliff, okay, she goes in and she finds this tube that has a swirling black thing in it, a shadowy thing. And when they make eye contact, this rock falls and shatters the tube, and it goes into her body. Oh, so if you think the Hulk, whenever she's threatened, it takes over. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm writing this thing while I'm doing true story. So I'm doing this romance autobio thing, and then I'm doing this fiction thing. I've never done fiction. But like out of my head, where I create, usually I'm piggybacking on Spider Man or Fantasy okay. Four. Yeah. And this was more intimate to me than the true story books were because <clears throat> with true story, I could just say, like, fuck you, that's what really happened. Gotcha. You know, but when you're making shit up, there's another, there's level. a lot more yeah. fear of they're not, if they don't like this, then they don't like your imagination. Exactly. And you're, you're just a failure. Yeah. So, and what was that one called? Chica Cabra. Chica Cabra. Yeah. Nice. nice. So, as soon as I thought of the name, I thought, that's such a good fucking hook. <laughs> and this made me want to make more. And I wrote down, no villain. I don't want to do this bullshit where there's a fight in the end. Or blah, blah, blah. Nice. But I started looking around. I saw these guys who would dress up in these Vejigante cart, uh, costumes and for um, this festival they have called the uh, San Sebastian Festival. And that's sort of like their Mardi Gras or Day of the Dead thing. It's usually okay. a, at this time of year. The entire city of San Juan shuts down. We, and, I was there when oh, that happened. Man, it's a yeah. crazy night, crazy, crazy week. Yeah, you have to bust your way in. There's no parking, and it's just people drinking rum and smoking and dr drumming, and it is a crazy time. Um, 
And they would dress up in these costumes. And they would have these masks that have the horns that come out of them. And I just always loved those costumes. And so I th thought one day, I got I to gotta use these guys for something. So I started drawing this one, these different versions of them. And they became in my book. And they became spirits that have specific jobs. Each one has a different job. Wow, okay. And, uh, and then they have like a guy in charge of all those guys. And so she met a, a Vegante that I named Tarantino because I always loved that name. And Tarantino's job <clears throat> is he holds all the souls of children who have died too early so oh. they can experience life <clears throat> through him. Wow. For a, a while longer. But they treat this is him. mystic. Yeah. I am on a shitload of weed when I'm writing this also. <laughs> this is me after my wife went to bed and gotcha. I would just smoke Just letting bowl. it rip. Yeah. yeah. Letting it rip and then just Beautiful. doodling and yeah. going to coffee houses, smoking. We had a, a Starbucks across the street from our, our place, so I would smoke up and then go over there and draw. And they would all see me working on this thing. I had a sketch page, entire books done of just ideas, 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 ideas. And um, so he holds all the souls, but they treat him like a amusement ride. Get it. And then I wrote down when he speaks, um, it sounds like a classroom of kids. You know, when they all when they all say like, "Yes, Mister Max," and there's always someone at the end going like, "Yeah, whatever." So there would be his voice sounds like a choir of children speaking for him. That's awesome. He never speaks. It's always no. It's good. Okay. Like if you want it up or down, or don't, like don't, when he, don't like, be shy to like <clears throat> smash it out of the way if you want to talk oh, sure. to you or whatever. I mean, the, the mic. Oh, yeah. You can move it if you want. So they speak for him. His, his dialogue always consists of Tarantino says, we should be going now. Gotcha. And then meanwhile, there's always some dialogue bubble that first says, uh, I'm scared or I'm worried. or Right. Or, so it gives or, like a subtext. Yeah. Or I'm I bored. Yeah. Um, so in the book, this book's been out for like five years now, so I'm not spoiling anything, but. In the book, she has a mom. Was it a? I don't mean to interrupt, but was it a series or no? It was. It was going to be a series, and then I. You really completed I, the whole I, thing. In yeah, I've been doing series. I don't want to be locked into a ongoing series. Okay. So I decided to make it just a, a graphic novel. Okay. And um, in it, her mother dies. Uh, she is sort of in a catatonic shock from her losing her husband to a, a carjacking. So she doesn't say anything in the whole book, and then all of a sudden, she just out of nowhere dies. And Isabel's hit with this. So what Tarantino does for her is he rejects the children long enough for her mother to come into her body to say goodbye. Yeah. And so meanwhile, the other Vahigantes are on alert that, hey, someone's not doing their job and children aren't getting taken care of right now. So now they're going after him to say, no, you got to get this thing out of you. Okay. So they're like saying, hey, I only have a few minutes. I got to talk to you. And she's going, she's going berserk hearing wow. her mother's voice. And um, the Vehigante start going after Tarantino, and then, which causes Isabel to change, and she kills one of the Vehigantes. Okay. And so finally it's all, he purges the mother's spirit from her because she agrees to go on. And so uh, the book ends with that. So she survives all that. But she has an uncle who's a chef, and I like to cook, so I, I made him based on me kind of, this really big guy. And then there is a, I had to come up with the, the, the friends. I decided they're all going to smoke weed because that's what kids do. <laughs> uh, 
so they smoke weed by El Mardo. I I got I, I got a lot of the local uh, jokes. A lot of the I started incorporating the local murals. They're really big on murals in Puerto Rico. Okay, they have a thing at Santurce called Gallery Night, where they allow people to make murals for like I think it's five years, and then you cover yeah. them up. My friend actually uh, uh, flew out there and, and lived for a couple months to specifically paint murals. It's an amazing yeah. experience because they put tapestries on them. You unveil them. Every night's a different area. And it's an amazing f- thing to, to behold. So I started taking photographs of these murals and would draw them because I also thought it's a neat way to sort of keep a record on what was painted at that time, you know, because those are painted over in time. You lose so. Them, yeah. I still have people who take photos of murals and send them to me. Um, That's one of the things I love about driving around Oakland or San Francisco areas. Yeah, I love, yeah. Any kind of urban area where they, you know, the officials went like, well, we're already blinded. Let them fucking make art. Yeah. And I don't don't see why that's such, I think every building should have art. better, yeah. Yeah, it just, it makes you come alive when you see cool art on a building. Agreed. How do they do that? I can't do anything on a scale that big. So when I see that, like the the Three Disciples mural, is yeah, a cool mural. that's a really cool. And mural. the bar down the street from that, the what's that called uh, on Mendocino, just past our store, I work at Outer Plains Comics. Oh, it, that's Three Disciples. Op, I work at Op Games. That's what we're called now. Op Games. Oh, I know you're talking the one next to the Three Disciples. Yeah. There's another really big mural. They're doing crazy murals on that building. Yeah, and where they're just letting people have fun yeah. with it and stuff. Yeah. And taggers are leaving alone too, which I really, which is nice. Always my worry is that yeah. someone's going to come on and fuck it up. But I had those in my book. The book, my work is really, all my work from Marvel and then um, my own work was really having a rice and beans uh, smell to it. To where when people met me in person, they would swear I was Puerto Rican. Because I was doing in-jokes. That, <laughs> if anyone, gotcha. if anyone yeah. on the island told me an in-joke, I would record that in my head. And I'm gonna, so when they talk, like Isabel does this thing where she picks out, she goes to a bacarito stand. And that's where they sell these fritters, these uh codfish fritters and they're flat and they're big and round and like pour them over the top with the oil and fry them like a pancake almost okay and they're briny and they're really really delicious and they hang them up so the oil comes off them okay so when she orders one they'll take one and you'll just see her hand and she'll point and she'll say no i'm not a turista give me one of the hot ones in the back and they get that so when someone reads that they know i'm not fucking around this this takes place and i make a lot of hits on on the U.S., I make a lot of hits on the Puerto Rican government. I I really bounced around with that book. Um, I used to love a strip. I fell in love with a comic strip that I didn't really understand because my Spanish isn't that great, but I fell in love with a strip called Mafalda, which I believe is an Argentinian. Wow. And it's this girl who looks like Lucy on a bad hair day, like okay. Lucy from Peanuts. Uh-huh. And she's just this loudmouth girl who speaks her mind and the way he would draw her yelling and complaining about stuff was intoxicating to me because it was a little girl being just saying what the fuck she wants to say so with isabel she was going to be speaking her mind all the time gotcha and so it was a really fun character to create so have you ever thought about going back in yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing two sequels oh, right okay. at the same time. Nice. Um, one is a a whole big su- new supporting cast from it, um, okay. and then the other one's based on an old fable called Juan, Juan Bobo's Pot, 
Yeah, it's, okay. it's almost like if you did this fable on the Twilight Zone. Uh, this little kettle shows up. Okay. And she's walking home. She hears this clink, 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 clink. That's following her. <laughs> and she's used to this shit by now. Yeah. So she's like, well, what's your thing? And she looks inside. And there's nothing in there. She goes, well, there's nothing in there. And she starts walking away. Clink, 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 clink. So she turns into Chica to get away. And this thing's as fast as Chica is. She, she cannot dodge this thing. Okay. And she shows up, slams the door shut. And there's this little professor guy that's based on an actual guy in Puerto Rico who would go to Chupacabra sightings. And he, okay. was, he was the expert. Okay. So he would show up and go, like, no, this is not a Chupacabra. And so his, uh, his name was uh, Chamo. And so I used the name. I said this little guy is Professor Chamo, and he's, nice. he's the leading expert in, in the, the occult. And so she calls him up, and she says, this thing's been chasing me. I don't know what it is. And he takes a peek and sees it, and she goes, oh, my God, I think you've, dis- I think you've discovered Juan Bobo's pot. Okay. And Juan Bobo's pot is this kid who's told to go up, go up the hill, or go down the hill to your grandma's house and get the kettle so I can make dinner tonight, so I can make a rose compoyo. So he goes down there, he gets the pot, he has carried up, and the, the kettle has three legs. So he thinks, well, you have three legs, I only have two, you should be carrying me up the top, up the hill. So he goes up the hill and he kind of bitches about it. The mom makes the dinner and then says, you got to return the kettle down. And he says, uh, well, since it has three legs, I should go inside the kettle and go down. Oh. And he decides to it wait. It sounds like this isn't going to end well for him. He's, just, he's, he's not a bright kid at all. Right. When you read this, even when, when, they're ex- when her uncle is <laughs> explaining this story to her, uh-huh. At one point, it cuts to Isabel with this deadpan look in her face. Like, for real? And she's going, are, are you shitting me? And he goes, hang in there. And so he explains the rest of it. So from this pot, this thing comes from that fable. And the thing is, you have to feed it what it wants. you got to give it something. But it has to be, like, legit old-school Puerto Rican food. Okay. And so... Chemo says, the only thing I can make is a grilled cheese sandwich. Let me, tr- let me give it a shot. That's what my, my mother used to feed me. <laughs> so he makes grilled cheese sandwich, tosses it in there, and nothing happens. He goes, The well, pot is not a grateful dead. Yeah. Thing. And he goes, Well, I don't know what to do about this next. And next thing you know, it sucks him into the pot. Chemo. Yeah. Oh, shit. So she's like, So you get that's that? your punishment yeah. if you don't make the right thing to the pot, the right offering to the pot. But to get rid of it, you got to do something. Uh oh. So otherwise, you're going to follow you the rest of your life. And so <laughs> she gets a, in the first book, there's a kid named Angel who's a, she has a pet rhino beetle that she carries to school to, to show off. And it's stated that she loves this beetle in the beginning of the book. So after class, he says, can I take a look at that? And he goes, yeah. And he crawls up on his hand and he goes, wow, that's a, that's a weird feeling. He goes, yeah. And he says, uh, and he drops it on the ground and he steps on the table. <laughs> now, now, whoa. This is just ink on paper. This is just lines. Right. But when people saw that scene, they were hugely pissed at this character. Yeah. What an asshole. I get it. I felt it. Kind of what I wanted. Yeah. Because then he has to, you know, he blows it off by saying, hey, if you want someone stepping on your pet, get a dog. And they're walking away and they're laughing it off. Oh, geez. And as his friend's talking to him, she comes out of nowhere holding a trash can, a full trash can, and she smashes into him. This is before she's found the creature. Okay. This is her on her own. 
And she beats, beats the shit out of this kid. To where they have to pull her off. And then they're, they're in the principal's office. And they're just not digging each other. So then it turns out that he wants to be a chef. He wants to be a chef. And her uncle is the best chef on the island. Kiyotomi. And it turns out he's applying for a job there. And he goes, Oh no. Angel is his name. He goes, Angel. Angel. I've never heard that name before. And he goes, I don't know, man. I, I just, I go to school. Where he goes, where are you school at? He goes, I go to this, this uh, song. I said, oh, no, my niece, my, my niece goes there. Uh-oh. Well, who's your niece? Isabel Sanchez. And she stopped him. He, he goes, oh, yeah, we had, had a thing happen today. So he said, yeah, you, you killed her pet. And he says, I'll tell you what. I will look at this application, and I won't judge you at all if you fix this. You got to get her a new pet. So he has to go to this black market kid. Or who can get you anything? <laughs> score, a, score a rhino yeah. beetle. He goes, can you get me a beetle? He goes, hey, I can get you a beetle, but it's going to cost you, man. <laughs> he goes, what's it cost you? He goes, $200. He goes, $200? Oh, he goes, hey, if you, you want need that, the beetle. If you need the beetle, that's it. That's supply and demand. And you seem to need to demand an awful lot. So he gets the money. He gives it to him. He gives her the beetle back. He goes, I got a shitty background. And I just was trying to be a dick. And I'm really sorry about blah, blah, blah. And she agrees, okay, I'll accept your apology. So he gets the job at the, at the place. Um, then she finds out he paid $200 for the Beatle. And she goes to him and she goes, are you a moron? You could just go to the rainforest and find like a billion of them. <laughs> so he goes, oh, well, I just wanted to fix it. You know, I, I, he, was, yeah. he was right. Your uncle was right. I did a dick thing. I'm just trying to be the guy to fix a dick move. Yeah. So then she has, at that point, she has the creature. So she goes over to where this drug guy lives and goes up the side of the building to his apartment and goes to take the money back. And because of the, the, the smell, she can notice there's weed in the room. So she takes all of his weed also. Oh, nice. At that point, he has a baseball bat, and he's going after it. Oh, shit. He just thinks some, some animal's in the room. And he's trying to smash it and smash it, and it leaps out the window. And... um. And uh, he is sort of a, he has an idea that this is, this girl's connected with this. So he confronts her at school the next day saying, I want my money, I want my weed back. I know you were involved in this. She goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Because you had some creature in my room, some animal, like a dog. She goes, you mean I carried a dog up the side of a building? You know how stupid you sound right now? And they're going to fight, and Angel ends up, hitting him with the trash can like she did to him. Nice. Now they're all at the principal's office. And so the uncle makes them work it off by working in the restaurant. So they get to know each other after that. In the sequel... But wait a minute, wait a minute. I am high, so I might have... Yeah. What happened to Juan Bobo's pot? So Juan Bobo's pot... Uh, did anything get put into it? Yeah, it's... Um, I guess you have to read the comic to, to find out the rest of, about no, it. No, I don't give a shit. It's a... Uh, it doesn't give away, but she has to have Angel, who now is cooking okay. for, for okay. Tio Tony. He's okay. a sous chef. Is there anything you could do? And he says, uh, we can make this or that. And she says, uh, well, I may. Oh, it's mofongo. He says, mofongo is the oldest dish in the thing. I would go with mofongo. But they realize uh, some people use garlic in their mofongo. Some people don't. Oh, no. Okay. So it's 50-50. So <laughs> he says, do you want to, she says, well, do you want to feed it to the pot? And he, he goes, hell no. I'm not in a that deep. 
And so he says, uh, okay, fine. Uh, then uh, she says, I'll do it. And so she feeds a spoonful into the pot. And then she looks back and she goes, honest to God, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> she gets sucked in. Oh. By this point, it's Tio Tony, the professor, and now she's in the pot. Okay. And you don't know where they are. They just gotcha. disappeared. So now Angel is left with the drug guy. The drug guy knows who she is by this point. She let him know. Okay. So now what do you do? So they have to hunt down another Vejigante who has a love of books. And that ve- that's a new Vejigante I'm introducing in, in that book. And that's based on Christina, the woman who owns the commerce shop. Okay. Because she passed away about four years ago. Oh. Huge loss in the, in the art field for her. Because she's the one who would buy all your mini comics and sell them. Oh. Anyone who was trying to do a comic book, she would back. She backed. She would buy. What comic book store did she own? It was called Metro Comics. Where was that? San Patricio Plaza in, in uh, Guaynabo. Oh, in Puerto Rico. Yeah, part, oh, yeah it was part of, a, yeah, part of right. a mall. And she was phenomenal to me. Wow. So I'm kind of honoring her by making her a Vejigante in my book. Oh, nice. And yeah, and it's a fun, it's just like, it's a smaller than the usual ones are. They're usually about 300 pages, maybe about half. Sounds like a great story. It's just fun. I mean, I'm on, I'm, I'm, it's compelling for me. They're all fun to write. Yeah. yeah these, are like, these are like little actors in my head. And when I write, I just sit in front of a piece of paper and I go, what do you guys want to do? Gotcha. Have you ever seen like improv people well, before? And, and when you start to get a character, then the character starts defining the territory. They get a voice, a personality. Itself. Yeah. I, sometimes I go to a coffee shop and just sit there and um, you listen to conversations. And eventually someone will say something where one of my characters will say, give me that. Right, and right. When you give them that, it's a different outcome than what you're hearing them talk about because now you're attaching their personality to it. You know, would they go with it? Would they fight it? Would they, you know? And I, I, we have a lot of people in our store. I, I, work, at our, I work at OP Games. Will we just it's not in our planes anymore? No, it's OP Comics and Games Okay. on Mendocino Avenue. Boom. Downtown. Yep. Uh, and um, we do uh, D&D there. Magic D&D. Yeah. Pokemon. So I would listen to some of the D&D campaigns. D&D is great. My son does D&D yeah. with his friends. And, and I keep telling him he should just write him his little fantasy mini novels. Because I they're see, so interesting. And I, would, I would hear our campaign. We would do a campaign for a while. And uh, I would um, have a thing where if you don't help me fight somebody, I kill your companion pet. <laughs> so then I want to come up with a character now who does that in the books who will kill your pet if you don't help her out oh like, you may not you, you may hate me that's now, rough but you really hate me in a second this is, if you don't help me this is what I do I don't hurt you I hurt the thing oh you that's rough me. so but at the same time in D&D it, it's so much fun yeah because yeah. it's not you it's, yeah totally you get a license really just run for it imagine and go crazy when did you yeah. start playing uh, D&D I played when I was a kid, but yeah. the I so I was born in seventy two. Right. I started playing in like from like ten to thirteen or so. Yeah. But everybody around me was their parents were so uptight radical Christian. It was a basement game. Everybody that I was playing or a garage with, game. Everybody I was playing with got banned from playing. Yeah. So I went from being this awesome DM and whoop and I was making my own campaigns and just so into it. And my friends, we were all super into it to like Did you use a grid book? Uh, I used graph paper. Yeah, graph paper. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. But then I literally yeah. went to the point where like I was the only kid left, <laughs> and I designed maybe another five adventures of like complete maps and characters yeah. and factions. And after designing like the fifth one and not being able to find a single person who was allowed to play D anD D, I just gave up. You should D anD D at our store. 
Uh, at this point, I play some magic. I've, I've got too much other shit yeah. going on. Yeah. You're too good for D and D. But no, my son is he's taking over the mantle. Yeah, he DMs, he plays, he designs his own. When did you start doing adventure uh, uh, magic? When did you start magic? I started magic in 1998. I lived in Venice Beach. Yeah, and the Wizards of the Coast guys. It was the first portal. You know, the portal they also edition. make they you also the, make D and D. You know, now they well they bought it, but yeah. you know what the portal is. So portal was a simplified magic. It only had creatures, sorceries. I don't know that one. It only had creatures, sorceries, and lands, right? Yeah. So it was simplified, and they came down like anybody would do this, like Red Bull. When Red Bull came out, they'll come down to Venice, and they'll just give away a ton of it for okay, free to okay. kind of generate the buzz, right? They did do that with Red Bull, didn't I almost, they? Dude, I, I won't drink Red Bull to this day because I almost killed myself. I was playing footbag, and I was almost pro, and so I was doing like double around the world. And What's footbag? A hacky sack. sack. Okay. Like hacky sack for people who take themselves way too fucking serious about hacky sack. Um. So yeah, I was doing it like 85 degree day and it was like power it's like, you know, it's like power running in place really and jumping in yeah. place. And this really hot girl in a little Red Bull dress comes up to me and she's like, "Hey, you want a Red Bull?" I've never heard of it because it's not a no. product yet. I'm like, "Fuck yeah." I thought it was an alcohol drink. So I I slam it and I I slam one. I'm like, "Oh yeah, give me another one." I open it up and I drink about half of that one. And all of a sudden my heart starts pounding out of my chest and I'm I have to find shade and I'm on Venice Beach where there's only palm no, trees. Yeah. So I had to find that little sliver of shade behind a palm tree and I like lay against this palm tree. <laughs> and it was like I'd done a gigantic line of cocaine or something, like just feeling my heart go, go wham, go wham against my chest. After about five minutes, I didn't die. And I was like, where I'm never drinking one. See, of I'm six. I was born but, in 62. So for me, it would have been Jolt. When well, I know I was in on Jolt too. Every, the news was saying like, if you drink Jolt, you'll, you'll die. It was you like know, that your heart will yeah. explode yeah. and stuff. So it freaked oh, but, me out. So I wouldn't do it. So everything past that, like even Venom, I look at that. I'm not doing a Venom. Fuck that shit. I'm gonna die. Yeah, I love the Jolt Cola. Uh, but so going back, the Magic guys, yeah. released Portal, this simplified edition. Okay. And they came to the beach and they were just giving it away. And most people are like, "Fuck this!" But my friends and I are like dope smoking nerds, and we're like, yeah. "This is awesome!" And they yeah. showed us how to play real quick. And they gave us all these cards. Is it and like, then, is it, would you compare it to one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one magic or is it more like uh, commander? Or is it like. It was just simplified. Everything was much simpler. How so? Like I, There was no instance, right? Okay. And at that time there were instants and there were interrupts and there were mana sources. There were all these different timings, right? But this was simplified and almost made like a more, more contemporary magic. It was really simplified. Like, creatures didn't have it's any so abilities. It's so hard to pass a tiny creatures joint when you're high. Yes, sir. Creatures didn't have any abilities besides flying, right? There was okay. no other abilities. You know, it was real simple. You couldn't trample? You couldn't do anything like that? None of that. Okay. Just for portal. But the day they, so they left on the Sunday, and they had all these cards left because most people didn't want the cards, and we lived yeah. there. At that point, I lived a half block off the beach. And so they just gave us boxes of magic cards. Did you ever see that one, that episode of uh, Antiques Roadshow? Yeah. This, she has all the original mine or something like that. That shit's worth so much money now. It's just already mounted on a frame. Santa, my husband had this thing. And the guy just shits his pants. But so they call the actual wizard guy expert in for that episode. Yeah. He's, he comes right up and says, you know, I've only heard about this. I've never seen these before in my life. So he was more giddy to just see these in person. In person, yeah. I've never seen them, actually. In, we got in a Spider-Man number one. Not I saw a, that. Not Amazing Fantasy. Yeah. But, but, and I remember that. And we got the death of Gwen Stacy came in our, in our yeah. store. And uh, I got emotional because that book made me cry when I was a child. Oh, that's nice. My parents thought Gwen was a real woman, so I was crying at the uh, oh, wow. dinner table. And they go, what's the matter? I go, Gwen Stacy died today. And they're Gwen. They thought it was like a real girl, like oh, someone yeah. I went to school with. Yeah. What happened? I said, she was thrown off a bridge and they broke her neck. She goes, Whoa. My mom goes, I didn't hear about this in the news. And my dad goes, 
I'm like, are you sure about this? I go, yeah, they, they found a pumpkin bomb on her purse. Ah! And it's like, I couldn't talk anymore. And he goes, my dad, there's just this quietness. And my dad goes, is this a fucking comic book? And I go, yeah, it's a comic book. You guys are laughing now, but she meant a lot to me. And you guys are all assholes. And I stormed oh. off, off the dinner table. Nice. And that was so mad. I slammed Owl? the door. Oh, God. Like eight, nine. Oh, wow. And I realized I was still hungry. So I'd go back out there. Ah, here we go. Stuff my plate. Yeah, and go like, you guys are still assholes and dicks. I'm not talking to you. That's great. Fuck you guys. Oh, but but going back to the magic, check this out. Mm-hmm. So the thing that really got, like, I like to play magic. It's like wizard poker. I really like the idea of making your own deck and, and the interaction with the cards. But yeah. uh, what happened was at that time I was selling a lot of cannabis. and uh, No. Word. And I was living primarily in apartments and little houses in Venice where there wasn't really anywhere I could bury anything. I couldn't leave anything. And I didn't trust safety deposit boxes. Let me ask you something real quick. Well, okay, but so. No, but let me, let me just slide okay, in here a second. Sure. How paranoid were you back then selling cannabis? I wasn't paranoid as much as I was just on my on my watch and yeah. on my behavior. I, I would have been paranoid. Okay. I, I'll tell you a different story in a sec, but if, if we get into it this time, but I'll eventually tell the story. I got home invasion robbed right after moving there. Oh, um, not right after moving there, but right after starting to get into the weed game again. Uh-huh. Just because I came with like a rural, NorCal Grateful Dead, friendly, LSD-inspired, drug-dealing ethos, and I interacted with you know uh, yeah. organized crime. But I ended up being fine. But what I realized was, with the magic cards, if the cops came to my house, I could store value in them, right? Like if I if I had money and the cops came, they're gonna take it. If I have drugs, the cops. But these cards take are gonna it. like. If I have gold and the cops come, yeah. they're gonna take it. If I have money in the bank and the cops come, they're gonna drain my account, right? Yeah. So I knew that I could put money into magic cards, and then if any, if the robbers came, they also wouldn't know about the magic yeah. cards. So all of a sudden, I had a way to store value. I see. That that was undetectable by anybody is who might be like, able to get me. Now, is that like money laundering? Is that the, no? How does that work? Because I I don't. You just understand. have to pay taxes. If you pay taxes on the money you made, then you don't launder any money. But you're okay. Also, this is all from a movie. Yeah, that we're making. <laughs> <laughs> that is um, hilarious that they go walk by and you would have like thousands of dollars worth of cards. Right, and, uh, and no one would know. They would walk right past it. And then the benefit has been they've just increased in value, and I love the game so much. I've never sold any of them. Do you I've think, never do you think that would apply? Do you think that would apply if there was like a box of old shit comics there? I think they would take that. Well, no, not no. not the cops, but I think anyone who broke into your place would take the comics. Most people just have no clue. And I know? think people people are different with comics though. There's more of a now. There's a, a perceived value, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, those people making. People making those uh, TV shows for Disney, uh, the new uh, the Marvel shows. Oh, I haven't seen anybody know of them. Really, those guys are getting screwed so hard. Uh, Disney made three billion off Winter Soldier. Wow! And the guys who created that character got three grand for writing the book. Oh shit! You can't shave off like twenty million. Uh, they uh, they must have. You, they must have paid them. No, no, nope. Ed Brubaker came out and said, just for the record, we got paid three grand. Ouch. And then the people who did uh, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, the same thing, man. Everybody talks about that show and how great it is. But the people who created uh, that book that that they're completely lifting. If you read, if you saw David Aha's pages for Hawkeye and then watched the TV show, they're literally filming. It's like a storyboard. It's like a storyboard. Exactly. You don't see David's credits until like 10 minutes into the credits. Wow. 
and I think Fraction only got a. They don't really respect writing in like mainstream. They're working on contracts media. that are from the fifties. Because well, you used to sign that stuff up, like, well, writing if, if we're going to do been... movies or TVs, we get the rights for that also. But they never made money back then. They were like, well, shit, yeah, if I make a movie out of Fantastic Four, good luck doing that shit. But now, right. it's billions of dollars for these. Uh, it's the it whole uh, Scarlet Witch thing. That's like ten different books. So right. they always ask me, do you watch the the Marvel shows? I go, no, I. I don't not until they yeah. pay my. They're not my, I, they're not my fellow creators, but there is a brotherhood, there is a, a familyhood to it to a degree. Whereas, what do you mean? I always thought that if, if the cow gave you milk, then you want to keep the cow happy and fed, so the cow doesn't go wandering off to some other farm to be fed by milk by somebody else. And with people comics, just don't don't seem to value it though. If if someone, if I knew a creative team who could create a a character and a storyline that made me $3 billion, I would keep them happy as fuck at least for five years to see if they produce anything else out of their heads yeah. while they're not worried about rent and yeah. food and insurance and all kinds of shit like that. I think they just view it as they have the license to the characters and that's the whole thing. <clears throat> but now you're starting to see more and more of this shit where it's you know, the daughter of Captain America. Or the, they, they're swapping. They're starting to reach. They're just like duplicating, that duplicating, duplicating, duplicating. Yeah. There's like Ten Captain Americas now. There's what? Like ten Spider Mans. There's oh those. comic books. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Like I love Miles Morales. I love comic Miles books. Morales. Have really been del- deleted. Miles Morales and his storyline and wh- how they build up his character is one that I think is so is so great. I just hate that they got to put him in a costume that's based on another character. I read. What do you mean? Well, that he's just another Spider Man. Because oh, okay. the more Spider-Man characters you make, no matter how wonderful they are, that they, that you now have a female Spider-Man and a black Spider-Man and a Latino Spider-Man and all that stuff, you're still just and each one you're is not a, going the full distance. You're not carrying the ball past the line because you're just you're just now there's a black yeah. one instead of making and you're a you're relying character. on the fact that it's Spider-Man so it's going to sell instead of gotcha. like like I remember when the instead fact, of actually writing a compelling story. Yeah, back I remember when I was a kid and the, they debuted the Falcon, okay. Sam Wilson, a Captain America sidekick, and he wasn't like. Junior Captain America. He was his own character. His own he had his, his same with Black Panther. T'Challa. Robin is not Junior Batman. You know, he's Robin. Well, this you know, at least for characters of color, especially, you make them unique, and then the, you got to make the hero unique also. Yeah. Where to now? I don't know. They just Batman has like so many Batman uh, duplicates running around, and really? now they got multiverse. And now uh, at the same at the same time. I, I shat all over the Jane Foster Thor book that that came out by by uh, Jason Aaron because I felt the same way. Like, oh, fuck. Now we're going to make female Thors. And, and I also felt that the more duplicates you made of these characters, the more watered down the original is to where you don't even know who, who the main Spider-Man is anymore. And so, yeah, do they exist in like the same universe? Yeah, and there's one's like, in a different oh, universe? there's Spider-Gwen, there's... So like Black Spider Man, he lives yeah. in like Chicago, and no, nope, like he lives regular... right there in Harlem. Oh. So they all live in New York. You and think they... they would have seen like two Spider Mans in the same day? Then yeah, you know what I mean. Like I would just like to see them go the full distance <laughs> they did with the with Sam Wilson. Why and, wouldn't all the Spider Man like, team up? And those, yeah, they didn't make. Oh them... yeah, Black Panther's the shit, man. But they they didn't make Black Panther like Junior Cat, you know, Black Cat America. No, he was a fucking Black Panther. Yeah, totally. So I wish they would continue that trend, but I think nobody wants to create something. That original because you're just going to get ripped off in the long run. They're going to make a show. I think in individuals are creating unique 
uh, media. I think that the but people not when you, in charge of corporate media, but here's are the problem though: a bunch of boobs. If I do my independent no work, like if I do my work with Image, uh, I don't get paid until the printing's paid off. And some people have Every, to go like five issues. All of the games are set up so that the rich yeah. thrive. It's all an upward redistribution. So if you want to pay your rent, well, if you want to be able to pay your rent, you go to Marvel. You make it's the same thing in the weed game right now. Grand. It's like in the yeah. legal weed game, it's the same model. It's all about guys with way too much money making a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. And then everybody who makes really quality, for the most part, they're they're moving on the tr- traditional yeah. market because they can still survive. Yeah. And they're surviving and thriving. Now they're doing a lot of animal characters. You know, like if you're making. It's almost like they can't do human characters anymore. Now they're doing a lot of animal sidekicks. Oh, and like the comics. Doctor Strange has a bat. Every book now has to have Have you a bat. seen the new Doctor Strange Spider-Man movie? Yeah. I thought. Can we talk spoilers? Yeah, we've done. You, you know what? T- you t- I haven't seen it, but. It's been out long enough. Oh, you haven't yeah. seen it yet? No, no, but I'm fine. Nostalgic wise, it's a 10. Okay. Like you will recognize so many things in there. But okay. story wise, it makes no fucking sense. It's. Um. Doctor Strange. I mean, the last one kind of shit out on the story in the last fifteen minutes too. Doctor Strange is either the dumbest sorcerer in the world, <laughs> okay, or Wong is the worst sorcerer supreme ever. He just <laughs> Wong's there for like a couple minutes. And he says like, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna, I'm taking off to a party. Uh, don't uh, you know? Don't use my stereo. Like that kind of a thing." Okay. And then Strange is like, "Don't cast that spell." And Strange is like, "Okay, wink." And I still think. I still think that it's Mephisto, that it's not Doctor Strange. I think in another movie they're going to unveil that it never was. What's the difference? Because they're tying in pretty closely to a book called One More Day. So who is Mephisto? The devil. Okay. And Spider-Man's danced with the devil in the pale moonlight several times. He's he's done a few things, including Aunt May got shot in the comics once, and to bring her back, they— Mephisto said, "Give me your marriage to Peter to Mary Jane, and I'll bring your aunt back." And they both agreed to do it, and said they forgot they were ever married. Wow! Yeah, and so they're kind of tiptoeing along that storyline. Huh. Plus, there there are signs you'll see when Peter gets uh, known where they show his face and they give him devil horns in the background. And Marvel seems to like to do this thing where you don't really know what's going on with someone until a few movies later, like. Yeah. Thanos wanted to get rid of half the population of the world so people have space and they could do things. Yep. Sounds really noble until you watch Eternals and you realize the Eternals use the energy off people as food. Uh-huh. So if Thanos wipes out half the population, he's weakened the Eternals because they don't have a food source. Whoa. And you can kill the Eternals. So you find that. Because that's out. what he actually wants to that do. Was, you find what his real game plan was. Uh-huh. And I think in this, you're going to realize Strange has been trapped somewhere. And Mephisto's been acting like strange because it makes no fucking sense. Sandman, they've fucked up Sandman twice now, in, in my opinion. Just okay. like they fucked up the Mandarin twice. And I don't know either of those. The Mandarin is by Ben Kingsley, who for some reason, they keep sticking him in these movies where he's huh. supposed to be somebody and he's not that person. Okay. But with the Sandman, he first sees Spider-Man while he's fighting somebody and... Sandman helps him out because he's his friend. So then he puts Sandman in this container, the containment unit, and because Sandman's out of his dimension. He wants to get back to his dimension. Now he only wants he wants to get back because he wants to be with his daughter, which is right up his alley, and Thomas Satan Church is so good at that kind of stuff that you feel for the guy. 
But all of a sudden, they got to have that big fucking fight scene in the end where, you know, if they lose, the, the whole dimension's wiped out and, you know, it's a fucking roller coaster ride. But all of a sudden, Sandman wants to de- destroy the device with everybody else, you know, because they want to destroy the device to stay where they are. And, um, it makes no fucking sense. And plus, they bail on these characters for a good part of the movie. That you Weird. don't see these. You see them for these villains for a bit, and then they sort of fade out. Marvel now is doing this thing where, um, I remember the worst thing back in comics back in the nineties was they kept doing these events that cross over like twenty books. You got to buy like a hundred books to get the whole story. Like Infinity Wars, but it's, yeah, to the next so level. They have the main book, but then you uh, always buy all the crossovers to it and stuff because they they flush out yeah. the story. And it used to be once a year, and it was pretty fun. But then they started doing it more and more to where now you're buying way too many fucking books. Yeah, and there's no payoff. Yeah, and it's almost like they're doing that with these multiverse things. Yeah. Spider-Man Multiverse, the animated one, it's probably my favorite movie from Marvel, Marvel ever, ever. It was so good. It has such heart. Um, even though it's Miles, the same thing I bitch about, that it's, I wish he was another character. Uh, from what they do with them, it's a brilliant movie. Um, the Jane Foster Thor, if that's not the biggest Marvel movie, then there's something wrong because it's a woman who has cancer. They're making this? It's not out, out yet. comes right? out this year, I think. Oh, wow. I didn't even know that. That's cool. This book came out, and I was like, really, ugh, here we go. And then I read like two pages of this book, and I was like, fuck, this is really good. Wow. And Jane Foster has terminal cancer, and they're giving her chemo, but when she, she's worthy of the hammer. When she has the hammer, she's Thor. So... Jane Foster is she a character that's specific to this yeah, book? Yeah, she's the nurse. She, in the comics, she was uh, Don Blake's love, love interest. Who's Don Blake? Uh, that's Thor, alter ego. Okay, and then um, uh, that was his girlfriend. In the movies, she's pretty prominent in the Thor movies. It's uh, oh. what's her face who was in Black Swan. Oh, okay, the yeah. reporter or archaeologist or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, I forgot what they have her Ar- do. I thought she was a medical scientist. Maybe that's it. Something. So. Oh. It turns out. So somehow she gets the hammer. Yeah. She's uh, Thor's no longer worthy. It turns out that something happened. Son of a bitch. He did something in the hammer. He looked like he was up to something. Yeah. Wait, doesn't he? In the comics. He gets unworthy in the movies, too, or he gets like he turns into like a fat schlub. That's kind of where they're dealing with going with this, I think. He just too much beer, too many videos. In the comics, Nick Fury says something to him like, hey. I just found out something about you, blah, 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 blah. And he whispers something. You can't Fucking read what he's saying. Okay. And the hammer drops. Oh, shit. And says, see you, we're done. So he can't use his hammer anymore. So this woman comes along and just picks it up. She becomes Thor. And it happens to be his ex-girlfriend? Yeah, it happens to be Jane Foster. He makes a list of the women who are worthy. He knows a woman has the hammer now. Okay. The first one he sees is Jane. Jane's on her deathbed with cancer. Shit. So he marks her off right away and turns out, She's the one. Whoa. Um, probably one of the, I put this book right up with the Beta Ray Bill by Walt Simonson as far as. What was that had, again called? The Beta Ray Bill. Yeah, the, he was the alien Thor. He's, his planet's going to be eaten by Galactus. So he gets in the ship and he crashes on Earth looking for a weapon to deal with Galactus. Wow. He sees Thor and he goes, that's a weapon. I should get that. And they kind of duke it out. And then Thor drops the hammer. He turns back into Don Blake. The alien guy grabs the. Now it's a stick, and he's able to lift Mjolnir. Well, at the, 
uh, Mueller becomes a cane back then. It turns huh. into a walking stick. Okay. And he goes, now it's the it's just a stick now. This does me no good. And he slams it on the ground and turns into Thor. Turns out the guy you thought was looking to kill Thor is actually worthy of the hammer. Wow. Because then you find out that he came from another planet. Wow. He's running to this planet. Wow. So Odin makes a hammer just for him. Huh. And um, one of the funnest runs of Thor wow. that you can read. I mean, it sounds cool. If you like Mobius in the, uh, in the uh, Marvel series, uh, Loki, he debuts in that in that run of Thor. Okay. Um, I really didn't. <clears throat> I read some rom comic books. Yeah. And a little bit of Elf Quest. My uh, and that was about it. My publisher Chris Ryle, he he got to write Rom. He was a big Rom. Fan. Oh really? So I loved Rom. Rom yeah. was fucking cool as fuck. Dude. They were able to get Rom, but they couldn't get the Dire Wraiths. Poor Rom, he was so tortured all the time. The Dire Wraiths. Yeah. Isn't those, that who he's? Those creatures that you that he fights. Fights. Yeah. So they were able to get Rom, but not the enemy. What do you mean? So they had to. His uh, com- the company he was with IDW. Okay. They purchased the rights to Rom from Marvel. But the rights to the Wraiths were separate. Separate. What? Yeah. Because they were, oh. I think they were created as two separate things. Kenner, Kenner uh-huh. went to Marvel and said, like, can you either we're going to have these toys? I think we're going to have this toy. Oh, uh, it was out. a toy tie-in. Can you gotcha. create a book around this toy? They did the same thing with Micronauts, and hit gold with that. Right? I fucking hated Micronauts, bro. You know, oh man, I had hippie parents, and they wouldn't buy me Star Wars toys. Yeah, and they kept buying me Micronauts. Did you read the comics? No, I fucking hated them. You would have they loved were not the fucking Star Wars toys. Though. Michael Golden That's does all the I cared art. About. Oh, That's all Michael, I cared about. Michael Golden's art was had me running to get Micronauts. I, it's, just it imagine was a, you like it was a Darth Vader like ripoff. Just imagine you give your parents a yeah. birthday or Christmas list. It straight up says like Luke Skywalker, and you know how to spell that shit proper, <laughs> right? And then it says an X-wing or a Millennium Falcon, <laughs> right? And you understand like the ship type and how to spell that yeah. and where you where you can go get that shit. And you give them a completely detailed You're right, list. Now, don't get cocky, kid. Your complete detailed list about exactly what to fucking get. And you get these fucking micronauts. Micronauts. And it's got this servo. And it's cool. It's got this servo yeah. thing. And it's like, but it's got a cord to it. And this guy. And they all come apart. And none of them. The servo. Fucking... And we Ugh. we should say that we don't have any notes in front of us to this. But the, no. the sword was carried by a croyer was the, the figure for that. See, I came okay. up. I got the comic books and then found out they were toys. Gotcha. And I. That I must have been awesome for you. I knew they were ripping off Star <laughs> Wars. I knew it. But I was a Star Trek guy. I wasn't connected to Star Wars. Oh, this was. fuck. It was fucking painful. So when I saw that, it was drawn by Michael Golden. Okay. And his art is fucking ridiculously beautiful. Okay. So I was buying this. So when I saw the toys, I went, ew, these aren't like the books at all. Should <laughs> 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 be a little funny. toy. It's like, fuck you, stopped, Micronauts. That's the fucking When they started the making story. the Yo-Jos, the, the G.I. Joes, tiny ones. Oh, okay. I, I love the G.I. Joes. I come from old school G.I. Joe where he's like. Yeah, the big one. A foot tall. Yeah, and yeah. And he's got I, Kung Fu yeah. grip, life, life, yep. hair. I remember him. So when they made the tiny ones, I went, what's this bullshit, man? The elbows don't even move. I loved them once they came out with the articulating elbows because you could put them in all the Kung Fu yeah. fighting positions. I used to take my G.I. Joe out to the, to the street. Uh-huh. Fling him up in the air, and when he landed on the street, he made the best dead position. So I started drawing it. Uh, and my mom would say, "What are you doing out there?" I said, "I'm practicing drawing dead people." Oh yeah. She was like, "Whatever, kid, weirdo." Dude, we would take those GI Joes, and we would take them in my yard, and we would spend six to eight hours of a day building little two scale huts. Yeah. And we would harvest. We'd harvest like pine needles, but we'd also harvest moss and lichens from different trees. Play Vietnam. And we would make these huge villages and yeah. set them all up with G.I. Joe. And then like right before sunset, 
we would just run through. We'd have the whole war and just destroy the whole thing for the day. And my brother used to build, uh, my brother used to build so tanks, fun. model tanks with cherry bombs in them, and then they would all be lined up on the Fourth of July, and it would just be <laughs> Saving Private Ryan, the opening sequence, so good. You know, in our in our backyard. So good. Yeah, I was uh, I liked that. I was I was a Star Wars guy. They had when uh, Empire Strikes Back came out. We were like two feet from the window to get into the theater and some guy came over the corner and yelled, Darth Vader's Luke's father. Darth oh, fucked up. I fell asleep in the fucking first Star Wars because they were on that fucking desert so long. I, I was bored, man. I'm like, dude, are we getting up? It's called Star Wars. Are they going to go up there or what? Like, <laughs> we wrap up this fucking family shit. So when, when Luke's parents are killed, I'm like, finally, let's wrap this shit up. <laughs> I was like so upset. Get up there, man. It's How called, old were you when Star Wars came It's out? not called Desert Wars. It's called Star Wars. I was like, uh, fuck, what was that, 77? Yeah. Uh, or, yeah. 10th grade, I guess. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I was young. I, I, I was, was five. right in the head. My friends were yeah. all into it. I was going to go see the premiere of uh, American Graffiti, which would have been my first like R movie, wow. like soft R movie, yeah. with all my friends. And then my brother was in, my younger brother's going with us because he wants to go see. Uh, oh. He wants to see Pippi Longstocking. Oh no! And so uh, his movie was 15 minutes before my movie, so I called my dad up on the phone and I said, "Hey, uh, can you wait a half an hour because my movie's over?" He goes, "Well, what's your brother gonna do?" I said, "I was telling him to wait in the lobby." He goes, "Yeah, I can't do that." Now that <laughs> I go, "What am I supposed to do?" He goes, "Go, go see your, your movie, your brother, and then you go see a." Uh, the other movie some other time. I go, damn, my friends are here, man. I can't go see Pippi Longstocking. And he goes, why? I said, because you're supposed to see American Graffiti, Dad. It's about cruising and meeting <laughs> girls. All my yeah. friends are here, man. Don't, yeah. make me go, don't make me do this, Dad. He goes, if you don't do it, I'm going to come pick you up myself. Oh, no. Nobody. I go, come oh, no. on down, man. Come on down right now. I don't want to see a movie then. He goes, you're not seeing the movie. movie. And he hung up. I'm like, fuck. So I had to go down and see, you know, tell all my friends, Hey, I, I'm gonna go see a uh, Pippi Longstocking, and they're looking at me like, are you, they're looking at me like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, I go, no, I gotta see my brother. My brother's uh, still, still excited too. So he's stoked. He's like, yes. Soon as that movie started, life. Soon as the movie starts, You're like, Bloop. it's fucking dubbed. Oh. it's not even like the lips aren't even lining up because oh, no. it's like a, it was made overseas, and oh, it's no. like, yeah. and I'm just staring at it going, motherfucker. Meanwhile, <laughs> in the next theater. I could hear the sound effects from American Feeling. Like, oh, run, right. Run, run, cars run, rock and roll. This is the best movie yeah, ever. My brother's just like, this big love song is awesome. I'm going, fuck uh, you. When we get home, fuck you for life. I, <laughs> I never said fuck you to my brother so many times. I'm like, oh, fuck you. When we get home, don't even fucking look at me tonight. Oh, and, uh, oh my God, it was great. Beautiful. What was your first uh, R movie you saw? Uh, What's the first movie you saw high? Wow. I don't know. I know the first R movie I saw was Animal House with my parents at the oh, drive-in. Love that movie. The first movie I saw high, fuck, I couldn't even tell you. The first movie I really remember seeing, like, high as balls in the movie theater was Lawnmower Man. You remember that movie? Yeah. It's Horrible a Schwarzenegger? Movie. It's a piece of shit movie. Yeah. It's, uh, Stephen King wrote it. Yeah. But it was, like, the first, like, fractal three-dimensional graphics yeah. kind of thing. And so we took four hits of acid. And I don't even know how I fucking survived that movie. It was one of the most intense trips I had. And then somehow I managed to drive us home. <laughs> I get so paranoid. But uh, I don't even remember the movie. I saw the movie that one time. I don't even remember anything about the movie. 
Probably the one thing I remember about being at the movie theater was at one point I had to piss and I was just, yeah. my face was melting off. I went into the stall and uh, I start peeing. I hear like adult shoes on the, uh, you know, the click clack yeah. of leather bottom shoes on the bathroom floor. I'm like, oh, that's so fucking weird. <laughs> and I look under. Some spider thing with talons walking on its toes. Even worse, I look under and it's a sheriff. It's a Sacramento sheriff. Oh, fuck yeah. And I'm like, I can tell that he knows because I walk by him in the hallway. I can tell that he knows that I'm high on acid. Yeah. It's yeah. the fucking end of everything. Yeah. And I sat, I don't know how long I sat in that stall and everything turned into that, those, uh, uh, recurring lizards from the MC yeah. shirt. Oh yeah, they're all connected like, just because of the particular yeah. graphic. Exactly what you're talking about. Literally, those lizards from that MC white Escher birds print. are becoming black birds. And the whole time, yeah. I'm just holding my head, sweating, and like, oh god, he, you know, trying to embrace my fate of getting arrested. Did you see your reflection in the stall door? And you asked yourself, well, what, what are we gonna do? <laughs> do no, you have any ideas? I was straight panicking, and then finally, I, I steeled myself to get arrested and, and for my life to be destroyed and everything to end. And I, of course, I opened up the door and. Nobody's, I, nobody's there. Oh, man. He didn't know shit. I would have been blowing farts <laughs> so hard just to stink the place up as much oh. as possible. Oh, I was sweating bullets. I was, I saw on some um, in, insane weed a friend of mine had. We saw Stop Making Sense. That was my first movie. I saw us down by the Talking Heads. Right the oh, oh yeah. Time the of our time. lives, man. We were just, I've, I've seen that movie as many times as Die Hard. So I've had I had Bernie Worrell of the Talking Heads spending the night at my house. Oh, you're a, kidding! On the total rando, yeah. Like a friend of mine would smoke weed with a band, and so yeah. like anytime they were in our area, like Venice, Southern California, yeah. we'd go with my buddy, and we'd get to go hang out on the buses and like smoke weed with Funkadelic. Yeah. And so Bernie Worrell was in P Funk All Stars. Yeah, he was originally in Parliament. And so one night my buddy calls me and he's like, "Yo, dude, I'm with Bernie. He's so fucked up. He doesn't have a phone and he doesn't know what hotel he's staying in. There's no way for him to find out." He's like, can we come crash at your house? And I'm like, fuck yeah, yeah dude. And so he did. He came over and he made it there about fun. one in the morning. Yeah. And he's just a legend. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm just wide-eyed like, wow. And we're just talking about music. And he's telling stories about playing music with every legend oh, and George Clinton. And I'm just the whole time watching him. And about 3 o'clock, I went to sleep. He was smoking cigarettes and doing lines of cocaine. And yeah. I, I don't really do it. Did so, they play any music? No, we didn't have any instruments at that time. I hadn't started playing music yet. My favorite thing, I think my favorite thing to do would be uh, uh, smoke weed, and then I kind of drift in like the the scenery with my paper or my iPad, and I want to watch everybody. Just I want to watch the musicians just kind of like, you know how they talk and pick, and then someone goes, "What are you doing there? What are you doing?" You can if you ever want to come and hang out while we're jamming. Yeah, I love that kind of shit where it's just because. Well, that's the coolest thing is just trying to find the vibe. People who can't stop doing what they're doing is what I want to draw. I don't, I hate when it's they want to be drawn standing there or sitting in a chair. No, I want to have yeah. the, even if you're sitting, I want you to be drinking coffee or checking your email or there's going to be some you need element the essence of, of the person to come. Through. Yeah, there's yes. going to be some kind of life to it yeah. that otherwise, if it's just like I used to get asked to draw people like, uh, "Can you draw our boss?" Uh, he says, "Life of the party." and you get these fucking bank photos where they're just staring at the camera, posed. I'm like, this tells me nothing about this person. Word. You know, what I did, did that I for several do? for several years when I moved to uh, Mando. Uh, I have these weird thoughts come over me, and so I was thinking about why do people in in fo- in the first photos look the way they do, right? And the reason is it used to steal your soul or something. No, okay. no, no, because you have to expose the the shot for like two minutes. Yeah, and so if you make a, f- a smile, oh, you got to hold it. And you're not going to be able That's to hold true. it for two minutes, and you're going to blur the photo. So you have to just completely let your fo- your face go. And then also, I'm thinking these motherfuckers are like never seen this before. 
and well, they're working 14 hours a day. Yes. And they're some of the hardest motherfuckers, and they're proud of themselves because they built their own house. In their Sunday day. best. Right. And so for a couple of years, every single picture that was taken of me, I made the 1800s face. We used to go to the ferry house. I don't know how I got on that, but uh, I like. To do with what you're saying. I I would also think that these guys, the when they say I'm gonna take a photo, the least thing you, I'm sure you think you're ready for an explosion to go off in front of your face, but you're not raised to like nowadays someone can click. Oh click, yeah, click. yeah. But if I said like, hey, I'm gonna take a photo real quick, and you go, okay, and you you pose, and all of a sudden something blows up in front of you, I think that would scare the fuck out of you. So I think that also might be a reason people oh, are kind of bug eyed. Like, holy shit, that was a big explosion. Like, yep. holy, are we alive? Right. The whole thing. I know it used to be also if the uh, I love that photos question. would take a, a part of your soul. So people were, like, nervous about that. Yeah. Yeah. I used okay. to do those uh, photo booths all the time, like those old-timey photos. Mm-hmm. What is that? Oh, this is some runt. So I think. Uh, what is runt? I think I'm going to take us offline. Okay. Uh, we, we did. I think we're two-plus hours. And that was super interesting and fun. <laughs> and I definitely want to have you back as well as yeah. have you on. I want to have you on What's Good while while Joe and I are chopping it up. Is he the guy with the, the hands? Smokey Joe is the guy with the hands. Yep. That guy, Smokey so Joe. I could, let's definitely do this again. Definitely. And thank you a million for coming, Tom. Thanks for having me. And can you drop your any social medias or I'm on website? Instagram under Tommy Beeland. My last name is B-E-L-A-N-D as in David. So just write Tommy Beeland. You'll see a drawing of my sister on there that I did. I, uh, the day she died, I drew my Is sister. that your tattoo? Yeah. Yeah. Best thing I ever did in my life. Word. I always wanted to get inked, but I wanted to be when it meant something. Yes, sir. And then my sister died just out of nowhere. Had a heart attack. Oh, nightmare. And um, so I had friends call and say, have you drawn her yet? And I said, no. They said, well, if you don't do it now, it's going to be hard later on. So I yeah. went, to, went to Brew Coffee where I draw a lot. Yeah. Drew this drawing of her that was the greatest drawing I'd ever done on my sister, where every stroke was put. And she be, her her uh, hair becomes the S in Susan. And it was like a Hirschfeld drawing. And so I remember staring at it, and I said, um, I'm going to get my tattoo. And I went to oh. Faith, and they did it for me. And the guy mimicked my style perfectly. And it was, uh, I talked to that tattoo so much. And when I, oh, it's that's my, beautiful. It's my favorite thing. And then also, yeah. my friend Kenyatta, who just moved to Africa, she was watching me draw one day, and she said, uh, "Hey, I don't want to freak you out, but um, you know when you draw, your arm twitches." But oh, tennis, that's and cool. It, and it looks like she's giggling. Oh, that's excellent. And she, my sister used to always laugh when I drew because she couldn't do it, and she saw it like a magic trick. Plus, my dad drew a lot, so it was like nice. having her dad in the room for a while. Nice. And she always got a kick out of it, so I always thought... That's beautiful. Like, oh, what a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. You have tons of tattoos. Okay, so what, what's your, your Instagram again? Tommy Beeland. I'm on Facebook under Tom Beeland. Um, on Twitter... You have to Google that one. I'm not sure what Excellent. And website? No. Uh, no. Not yet. Don't have one. Thank you for coming. I hope you come on again. I will. Anytime uh, you want me, man. Let's smoke a drink. Let's do that. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for... Uh, being here with us on whatever this show is going to do.